we are live we are back how are you i'm all good mate i'm all good just excited about these breaking news how are you i'm very good should we jump straight into that breaking news then okay let's get straight into it uh before before i say before i show you this yesterday so today is a tuesday 5th of december and rockstar announced that the gta 6 trailer is going to come out around 2 30 or 2 o'clock uh for our time uk time um we were really excited because we usually start recording our podcast at that time so we were like okay we could just watch it live on the podcast and give it a live reaction little did we know late night the trailer got leaked and because of that they just put it up on the youtube channel we watched it we may have watched it once or twice but not properly so right now once again we're going to watch it together this is the official gta 6 trailer and we're going to talk about it for a bit what I'm do you think so, i'm so excited that coffee hour podcast is able to announce the gta trailer to the world that's how we do it yep official partnership with rockstar this is a big scoop for us it is they're gonna have our skins in gta 6 by the way let's get straight into it let's do it all right it. let's do this let me bring the trailer up and we could be in sync if anyone wants to watch it at the same time as us. We can't actually, we do not have the facilities to show you the trailer, but we can watch it for ourselves and we're going to walk you through it. Yeah, so right now we're in the official YouTube channel of Rockstar Gaming, GTA 6 trailer. It's a minute 30 seconds and we're going to start it in 3, 2, 1. Let's do it. Okay, look at that. That is gorgeous. It looks beautiful. Okay, so pause it. Mm -hmm. So, okay, already what we've got is a female protagonist and she's in an orange jumpsuit and it looks like she's in some sort of like parole meeting. So she's going to be leaving prison soon, I think. Yeah, agree. So this is 10 seconds into the trailer. We're going to play it again. This looks beautiful. It does. Look at the Miami Beach. It's incredible. Oh, it's my days. The graphical upgrades is, just, I mean, look it's at that. Unbelievable. And look at the character models as well. It re, oh my days, it actually looks insane. Look at that. Because I'm comparing it in my head to GTA 5, which already looks good, but I'm like, wow, this is just so much more photorealistic, but then it's still not photorealistic. Do you get what I mean? There's like a balance. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what it is? It's like, first of all, this is a huge game. Like, look at that. Look at that. They're trying to get the alligator. Look well, at this woman. Here's what's that? Like, that's like, um, that's like TikTok, isn't it? Yeah, literally. I think, yeah, I actually genuinely think it is. One thing about the trailer when I first watched it, I was like, I hope this is not one of them trailers, which even COD, you see that there's another, or even like if you watch the latest UFC 5 trailer, like it looks insane because they do the cinematic things they create in advance and they're like when you watch it you're like oh my day this is a movie this is not a game um and obviously the game has nothing to do with how that looks like because that's just a cinematic cutscene they made in advance with obviously a lot of technology and it just looks really good but with this i don't think it's a case where it's just a trailer i think that's exactly how the game is going to be so i don't think this is just a cinematic and it's going to look different to the actual trailer I mean, haven't they always been on the cutting edge in terms of, you know, like 
in terms of the graphics, there's always a big step up from game to game. So yeah, I get what you're saying. It doesn't seem like it's just a cinematic, but it's actually like, oh, this is what it's going to look like in game. And you sort of get exactly. that. You definitely get that sense because like I was saying, it's it feels and looks photorealistic, but at the same time it isn't because it has that GTA style to it. The characters, yeah, yeah, they yeah. look like in the G- GTA classic mold. So yeah, exciting. We just finished the trailer, by the way. Um, it looks incredible. So things we already know about the game. 2025, by the way. Yeah, things we already know about the game. One, it's coming out 2025. Two, the map is apparently going to be twice as, at least twice as big of GTA 5, which already has a decent map for your information for people who don't know. Like I personally haven't played GTA 5 properly that much. I played it once or twice with the boys. Um, but like just traveling from one end of the map to the other end of the map, it takes a bit of time. And you'd actually enjoy that because you're just driving or you're in a plane. It, it's fun. And this map is going to be twice as big. With those graphics, I assume this game is going to be big when it comes to consuming your storage. But it's worth it. I mean, obviously with Rockstar, as you said, especially with GTA, they do always set the standards, set new standards. So to me, like it's an equivalent of Avatar in the movie industry. Well, I mean, in terms of the weight, definitely. Obviously, um, so this game is set in Vice City, which was, I believe, Vice City Stories, which came out in 2006, was the last GTA game to be released in Vice City. And Vice City is basically um, Rockstar's version of Miami. And you definitely get that vibe from the trailer. It's sort of like, um, in that Florida sense, it's like crazy. There's that party vibe. It it looks really yeah, really it's cool. Beach, summer and what you, you were saying, alligators. what you were saying about the file size. I mean, firstly, it's not coming out on last gen consoles. So initially, this is releasing on Xbox Series X and PS5. There's also no PC release date yet, so I'm not sure how long that's going to take. But yeah, it's gonna it's gonna require a lot of processing power to run this bad boy. Double the size of GTA 5 as well. I wasn't aware of that because that map is already massive. So this game is going to be gigantic. And if this game took, what is it, 12, 13 years to be released compared to the previous one, what about GTA 7? How long are we going to have to wait for that? Because (laughs) literally, you're talking about Avatar waiting times. I feel like, because this game looks amazing. Um and in terms of what you said about size and also in terms of graphics, it, it it warrants in a way the development time. But how do you up from here? How do you get bigger from here? Like Yeah, literally. This game, this game, honestly, it looks unreal. I can't wait for it. It's looking like, as I said, they they didn't specify which season, what month, they just said 2025. But based of the vibe I get from the game, I'm feeling a summer 2025 release. What about you? Well, I'm I'm not sure. I guess we would probably have to look back at when Rockstar released their previous game. So, for example, when did GTA 5 come out or when did Red Dead Redemption 2 come out? I guess like they they usually they surely they have some sort of release window that they do with all their games. Um Yeah, so GTA 5 was September, GTA uh, Red Dead Redemption was October. Okay, so they like to release at the end of the year. But like you said, sort of the vibe from the trailer is because it's Miami, it's a party city. It's definitely like that summer spring break vibe. So, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, I won't be what, what would be the biggest window to release it? 
do you go end of year by the Christmas period or do you go big summer release like a summer blockbuster at the cinema for example like it's I mean Rockstar are going to do their own thing and whichever one they choose it's going to be massively successful but yeah I'm just I'm a little bit annoyed that it's 2025 I'm not gonna lie yeah I thought it's gonna be next year yeah honestly like even if to me I think with this game specifically even if it's gonna be like the busiest time of the year where people don't even have time to play people are kids are at school i think it's still gonna sell proper like i think it will still do that but yeah just just looking at what they've done in the past well i mean to be fair that was expected like even with red dead redemption after the first trailer they, it took them two years to release the game so the the release date was set i think a year and a half after the initial trailer so if anything, let's hope for the game not to get delayed. But then again, I, I don't think they delay games. So I think the 2025 is solid. However, I just hope it's not going to be like, yeah, we're releasing it in December 2025, guys. Like, oh, come on. Really pushing it, basically. pushing it to the yeah. limits there if they did that. So just in terms of story, what we could get from that trailer is it started off with a female protagonist. And we know that there's also going to be a male protagonist. So if anyone has seen the the official artwork um, that's been released yesterday, which was meant to come out today, but obviously because of leaking, it didn't. Um, it's sort of, there's two protagonists, a male and a female, and it sort of looks like a Bonnie and Clyde sort of story, which is um, two criminals committing crimes and on the run, which I really like. Um, and this is the first time I think that there's been a female protagonist in a GTA game. So there's another milestone that they've reached. The next one will probably be, I don't know, GTA 7 have a trans protagonist or something. Who knows? Oh, my days. What have you done? What have you done? Why did you give him the idea? Oh, my days. You just cut the cut the cells in half. I mean, they, did, they were going through some, some rough stuff after some of the things they did in Red Dead Redemption 2. I'm not sure if you're aware of it. Like, there was that mission where you basically had to beat that woman and, like, drag her on the floor for a bit. And they were like, okay, well, that was unnecessary. So, yeah, I mean, let's hope they don't do stuff like that. But then again, it's going to be an open world. And it's just a game at the end of the day. The thing about GTA is not just in terms of, like, graphics and the game it is, but in terms of, like, violence, they always push the limits. They're always polarizing. They're always against authorities. So... When you say that about Red Dead, it doesn't surprise me. Um, there's going to be some wild shit in this game. I mean, we've already been teased like alligators in this trailer. I can just imagine like the alligators going around and eating people or something. They've also got yeah. that. Um, they've got that social media component, which looks like it looked like TikTok. Obviously, it's not actually TikTok, but it's like a GTA version of TikTok. And that will be interesting to see how the players sort of use that in game like what purpose is it going to have can you become i don't know can you become an influencer in gta 6 like that's going to be really interesting because obviously in gta 5 and perhaps gta 4 you had um you had your mobile phone and you had the internet and stuff and you could buy stuff off there so really excited for this game it looks obviously it's it's going to be the biggest release of the of the uh, decade so far and probably of the decade overall when we come to the end of it in terms of video games so yeah very excited for it yeah that's going to be interesting a touch on that social media part i was scrolling through twitter or x i should say and i saw what's his name is it aiden ross 
Yeah. Yeah, so I saw him tweeting saying he'll be in GTA 6 and he can't really talk about it much at the moment, but he's confirming that he will be a character in GTA 6. Now, I'm not sure if that's a reliable source. However, based on what I see through the trailer, which is like this social media thing, like streaming, I won't be surprised if it's as big as that, where you'll have actual influencers in the game or like actors, actresses. And there's been talks of that as well. Yeah, the thing is like GTA games, they always, they take what's going on in our world and they sort of, satirize it you know they they sort of take the mick out of it so of course there was always going to be social media was always going to be a big part of this game it was always going to be there and it's nice to see because i don't know about you i can't think of any other games right now that have like gta which have you know social media as being like integral to the game of course we don't know that yet but there is that like i said that tiktok interface i mean that's I don't know what how that's going to play into the game, but I'm looking forward to see like not just that, but all the other stuff that we haven't even seen from this trailer because it's worth noting as well. This was trailer one; it's titled, so naturally we're going to be getting loads more. Hopefully, um, that was really just a teaser, wasn't it? How long was it? Was it 90 seconds long? I think? 90 seconds exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we haven't even got the official trailer yet. That's just a t- teaser trailer. Yeah, that's yeah exactly. It's not even the full official trailer. However, really, I'm looking forward to it. I don't think I can wait that long, but don't have any option, do we? We don't indeed. And on the topic of video games, Fortnite just had a big event on the weekend. That's right. And I don't want to go into what the new chapter is. I want to more so talk about Fortnite as a platform which we spoke about on episode two or three of the podcast. And as of now recording, they're yet to release this. But with this new launch after this event of the new chapter, Fortnite have shifted in a way to a platform where they're releasing three games, three primary games, and there'll be more. And those are Rocket Racing, which is by the developers of Rocket League, Fortnite Lego, which is a collaboration between Lego and Fortnite and Fortnite Concert, which is a collaboration with the people who made Guitar Hero. I don't know if you remember that or know what Guitar Hero was. Do you remember like years ago where people would buy, they'd buy like these uh, gaming guitars and gaming Drum drums. Sets. Yeah, yeah, that was for Guitar Hero. And so this Fortnite Concert thing, again, I don't know what it's going to be, um, but they've teamed up with them to design a whole new game within Fortnite. So that's really cool. I just want to talk about for these three, so for these three titles, are they going to be full-size games? Are they mini games? Because they've made a big deal out of it. There's, for example, there's social media pages for all three of them. Like, what do you think's going on here? Um, well, first off in the trailer of the new season, or I believe in the events, they teased where it looked like these universes would which obviously one of them was this festival thing one of them was the racing thing and there was like a thousand there was like hundreds of them so i believe there's going to be much more to come as we know they've got the unreal engine so there's going they they are going to be using that to create a lot of other maps or maybe just like people or creators are going to use that to actually make game modes in collaboration with fortnite um i think these games 
are going to be full games at the moment because they just want to show these three things they've announced are going to be full full sized games at the moment. But I believe in the future it's going to be a case of them making so many good things within Fortnite within that platform, and then they're going to have them as let's say like DLCs, which you could perhaps purchase in game and get access to that game or. You just go in the game and there's options that makes you buy stuff. Just basically stuff like that. I think that's they're just going to be showing the power of what the engine is capable of doing. And at some point they're going to be giving people the they're going to be giving people access to that engine, to that search engine, uh which is called what was the engine called? I think I just what, said it. Unreal Unreal Engine Unreal 5. Engine. Unreal Engine 5. That's the one. Yeah. Where creators are going to be using that to create these maps that the games are going to look as realistic as, like, let, let's say, a Call of Duty game, because that's the engine they use, essentially. I mean, we've both played this new chapter of Battle Royale a little bit, and graphically, we're not going to get into details of the gameplay, but graphically, it looks gorgeous. Like, I don't know how they've done it. I remember when Chapter 2 came out a few years ago, and graphically, you know, the colors just popped out more at you. They also look gorgeous. And you're like, wow, this is a big step up. But again, they've they've done it again. And it it looks fantastic. For example, you would be in a point of interest that is in a snowy mountain. And across the map, you've got the sun rising. And just the way that the light reflects over the hills and across the water, it's stunning. It really is stunning. I don't know how they do it, but... I mean, it just, it points and it shows the power and the beauty. Is it fantastic showcase of what Unreal Engine 5 can do? Because Battle Royale was also made in Unreal Engine 5. And I just think Fortnite and Epic Games, what they've done with all this, all this goodwill and popularity that they built through Fortnite Battle Royale as a brand and how they've scaled it up to now being what they want, a platform for other games and for Unreal Engine 5, is really fantastic to see in the short term. Now, who knows what effect it will have on the long term in the gaming industry, but right now it's a really it's a really nice moment. It's really good to see. And if you're a gamer, it's a fantastic moment. It really is. I totally agree with that. Just the visuals on the game look unreal. It's, once again, this is one of them games where, just like GTA we spoke about, you're like, you do something and you're like, oh, wow, this is beautiful. Like, how could it get better? How could it get better for this game? And then they wait a while and then they release something that's even better. And you're like, that was like, I, I didn't expect that. And one thing I like to mention is I really liked how they, I really like the strategy behind how they released Chapter 5 because they had a lower player base at the end of Chapter 4, which I believe was the previous chapter or the last season they had a lower player base than usual obviously the game's been out for a number of years now and it doesn't have as many active players as it did at the start so what they did was they brought back the original map the chapter one map which we talked about by the way um which just made a lot of people come back to the game and the very smart thing they did was keeping the graphics of the chapter one map the way it was and you just get used to that and then they take that away and they bring this new thing, which I'd say doesn't even look like Fortnite, but it looks better. Like a lot of people may disagree. A lot of people may say, well, it doesn't feel like it anymore, but just the visuals look great to me. And I really like how they did it. They've confirmed that map is going to come back. So the old OG map is going to come back to the game in 2024. 
I do not know if it's going to be as in limited time mode or if it's going to be a permanent thing. But I just really like this strategy and how they brought back millions of players by bringing back the original map and then in, and having it for a short time and then introducing this new chapter, which to me, I, I really enjoy it. It looks beautiful. That's very true because graphically you go from chapter four to what they titled Fortnite OG and it felt like a step down. And aside from like you were saying, where obviously going looking backwards, they brought back all these players and they've broken records in terms of how many people are playing the game, which in turn creates more eyeballs on your product. To then release this, which is not only a big graphical upgrade, but it's also a massive upgrade for Fortnite in general is what it is, is has been really smart. And you're right when you say that it looks sort of like Call of Duty in terms of, again, not to say this, um, on repeat but photorealism it's like the grass textures for example um they've changed them once again now that's something that might be really small but it just looks more realistic and it gets you more invested in the game as a player so i'm really excited for where fortnite can go i'm really excited to see what gta 6 is going to bring and right now it's just a fantastic moment for gaming in general i think so if you're someone who games um i think this is a happy moment if only modern warfare 3 was a dlc and not a full game i completely forgot about modern warfare 3 and now you you brought it up and that's just ruined my vibe <laughs> because i get this daily reminder from a friend shout out to that man that you should get it and i'm like see we made a point on on episode number one episode number two we gotta stand we can't we can't give up we have to stand. We're gonna we're gonna represent our point. Which does he play it? Yeah, he has it, and he's really happy with it. Saying it's good. No, 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 no. But he's saying only the zombie mode is good. Just to confirm. Well, that's one third of the game. So by that standard, then the game is bad. That's true. That's a good point, actually. <laughs> so that his go. whole his whole argument has just fallen in on itself like a house of cards. <laughs> that's that's your answer. That's your answer, champ. You heard it here first. Let's pivot away from gaming um, and let's talk about football and oh, the UEFA 2024 Euros draw. Um, let's do this. Yeah. Did you follow it? Of course I did. So this is going to be in Germany for people who don't know. And it's obviously going to be from 16th of June to 16th of July. What are your thoughts on the tables? Well, I've picked out two tables, um, Group B and Group C. Mm -hmm. Group B to me is the one to watch, I, I think, in terms of competitiveness and ent entertainment. So you've got Spain, Croatia, Italy, Albania. So Spain, Spain won the Euros in 2008. They won the World Cup in 2010 and they won the Euros in 2012. Croatia got to the World Cup final in 2018. And they got to the Euros quarterfinal in 2021. Italy, unfortunately, beat England in the 2021 Euros <laughs> final. So in terms of like football powerhouses, and of course, this, this is not taking into account the form of these teams, which is varied, but just taking into account the players that they have, what they've achieved in the past, I think it's going to be absolutely fantastic to watch this group. So Group B is the one to watch for me. And Group C is the one which England is in. So England have got Slovenia, 
Denmark and Serbia. And if anyone remembers, England played Denmark in the semi-final of Euro 2021, where we beat them and went into the final to then lose to Italy on penalties 3-2. So I think in terms of the one to watch, that's Group B. And I think for Group C and England, I think we've got a really good chance of getting out this group, um, which obviously we expect because England are going into this tournament as one of the favourites. But football is not played on paper. Football is played on a pitch. So we'll have to see how it actually goes. But I think if you're an England fan and if you're an England player and if you're Gareth Southgate, you're going to be very happy with that draw. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think in terms of the tables, we've got one of the easiest table as in because we're entering as the favor, obviously one of the favors. I think it's four to one favor that we win. And then the other favors are France, the same odds. Then we have obviously Germany, the host and Italy and obviously Spain, all these big, big teams you've named. Germany is Germany is interesting that they're one of the favorites. I know being a host country automatically gives you a boost because obviously you're going to be playing in front of your own crowds. But in recent years, Germany have been really below standard in international football. So they have, yeah. I don't know. I, I can't see it. I'm not going to write it off, but I just can't see it. Um, well, to be fair, they've got a somewhat easy group. Like a group stage is not too bad. So Germany has Scotland, Hungary and Switzerland, which for Scotland, I'd say it's probably the second in that group. Right now, the odds is like 80 to 1, I think, to win the tournament. But the group stages is not looking bad for them. So Germany, the group stages is looking all right for them. Uh, then we've got France in Group D, which is with the Netherlands and Aus- Austria. Um, France is one of the favours. Germany is one of the favours, which, once again, I also don't really see Germany progressing that far. Well, maybe far, but definitely not winning. Uh, we have a good odd, good odd here. I think our group is easy compared to, like, let's say, Group B, for example. France is... They're in a decent group as well. Like, it's not very difficult for them. Um, But it's looking promising. I'm not going to lie. This one, I think this one's more promising than what we had last time. Well, I think it's not just even, it's not even just the group. It's when England, and obviously we're biased because we're both going to be supporting England. um, But when England get out their group, it's then how do we progress from there? Because on paper, we've got the players. In terms of FIFA World Rankings, I believe England are number three currently. So we're definitely one of the top teams in the tournament. But on paper, we've got, for example, Harry Kane, Jude Bellingham, James Madison, Jack Grealish, um, Bakayo Saka. We've got some fantastic football players. And really, we shouldn't just be competitive in this tournament. We should definitely be competing in it. I think that the team to watch for England is definitely France. And again, actually... Um, remind me who's in France's group. So Fra- France so far has Austria and Netherlands. That is, and of course, one more team from a playoff will be joining yeah. them. Um, again, that's a really competitive group. Um, I agree. I expect France to get out there, obviously, but I wouldn't write off the Netherlands, easy, for example. Yeah, it's not or, easy for them. Or whoever gets in through the playoffs. I think I remember reading on the BBC, I think Wales might have a chance of getting in that group. So that would be interesting. That, yeah, exactly. And we would want to see that because that would mean yeah. that Scotland, Wales and England are there. Are I, there? I'm not sure yeah. if um, Northern Ireland are there, actually. 
I don't think so, no. Which is unfortunate. But if Wales can get in, that'd be fantastic because, of course, Euro 2016, they got all the way to the semi-finals, and we would love to see that happen again. But I'm really excited for this tournament, and I'm pessimistic because, obviously, I'm an England fan, and recently we've just we've been so close and yet so far, and obviously we haven't won a major men's tournament since 1966. But I think we have a really good chance. And like you said, I think probably a better chance than the last Euros. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Now the question comes, let's say we play against France after the group stages. They're going to be facing the stronger group. So they're going to, let's say they're going to have Wales as well. They're going to have Netherlands and Wales, which aren't easy challenges. They're probably, they are the favour against both teams, but... It's not as easy as England versus Serbia, for example, or England versus Slovenia. Um, so the question is, which one's better? Is it better to have a harder group stage that sets you up for the rest of the tournament? Or is it better to have an easier group stage so you could be in better shape when you progress? Well, obviously, if you have a harder group stage, um, you're testing yourself more. And if you have an easier group stage, then, you know, you're you're arguably not testing yourself more and you're not pushing yourself as much. But I think there's, there's a benefit to having, a, there's a mental benefit to having what you would say is an easier group stage because, and it depends on the personalities of the players, but they could go into there and think, oh, we should steamroll this team. And actually it might end up being a 1-1 draw or a 1-0 win. It might be really difficult. And that sort of reminds them and gives them that mental grit where they go into the knockout stages and they're like, okay, we really need to dig in. That gives them motivation. So I think, and also, for example, France, if England were to play France in one of the knockout rounds and France have the harder group stage, well, there is that argument that perhaps they've worn themselves out a little bit. Now, I don't think that will happen because France have got to the last two World Cup finals winning one of them. So they're an excellent national team side. Um, and I think, to be honest, if England play them in the knockouts, France are probably going to go into that game as a favourite, as the favourite team. Um, but I think there's there's juxtaposing arguments and there's arguments to say that it can be both a positive and a negative, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I get you. Well, it totally means there's more pressure on us because if we're entering as favourites and we are playing against average teams where we were above average... They're ex- what we're expected to show like it's easy work. Not easy, but we're expected to show we can easily handle this. Whereas if you said, if we try to, if we make it even a close game, if it's like a game where you're like struggling to win or barely win it, then that may not be a good look. Whereas obviously with France, if they play against Netherlands and they barely beat them, that's understandable. That team is still an elite team to play against. So there's that pressure of, okay, well, not only we have to win, we have to look impressive, probably. But then again, if they do, that's going to motivate them so much for the next match. If they don't, that may impact them somewhat. If they see like a team like France or go through Netherlands, let's say, then that's going to maybe play a factor when it comes to playing against France. But yeah, obviously, we don't know how it's going to play out, ideally in our favour, of course. I also think that even though we failed with perhaps what you some people would describe another golden generation to win a trophy that actually this England team does have a quite a 
strong standard of mental toughness. And I mean that in the sense that not because of the games they've gone through before, which yes, that's going to, that's going to bring a certain level of grit, but also like the media scrutiny is so much in the UK. Think about not only online in terms of like X, for example, but think about the newspapers and how let's take someone like Harry Maguire, for example, which has just completely derailed his confidence, this campaign by the newspapers and people online just abusing them. They do have this certain level of mental toughness, I think, which we take for granted. All they need now is that trophy. Um, And I think, but even it's quite an English thing, even if they do get the trophy, I still don't think people are going to be like, wow, what an amazing team. They're going to be like, yeah, well, I mean, they should have done it four years ago. That's quite an English thing to do. But here's hoping that we we come home with Euro 2024. And wouldn't it be perfect to win it in Germany against the Germans, for example? Would that not just be perfect? That'd be the cherry on top. One thing I like to mention, which a lot of people overlook, is our team is quite young compared to other teams. And what I mean by that is our top players in the team Obviously, we've got Harry Kane, and who's like a bit on the older side when it comes to playing football. But mostly our team, like our top players in the team, like Jude Bellingham or Marcus Rashford or Saka, all these players, they're on the younger side. And they happen to also be some of our top players. Whereas if you go look at teams like, mm, let's say, like France, their best players, like the players who you'd look at and be like, okay, like this person is like the highlight of the team. They are closer to that retirement age. So, and the new generation of the players is not necessarily looking, I'm not saying it's looking bad, but they don't have like a 20-year-old star in the team. Like Germany doesn't have a 20-year-old star in the team. France doesn't have a 20-year-old star in the team. The youngest is probably Mbappe, who's 24. But we've got like, Jude Bellingham, we've got Marcus Rashford, we've got Saka, we've got Raheem Sterling, who's still young. So that's one thing we aren't necessarily appreciating enough, the fact that our top players are on the younger side, whereas all these other top teams, they have their top players closer to that retirement age. I sort of get what you're saying, but in terms of France, I would disagree. I think they've got a lot of like young talent coming through who look really promising um i but i get what you're saying in the sense that the english young talent which is pretty much all around the squads is far more perhaps well established in terms of like people knowing who they are in terms of them you know clocking up goals and assists for example yeah germany um I'm not really impressed by their squad for example their next generation they've got someone they've got Jamal Musiala, who is about 20, who looks fantastic. He's going to be amazing. He already is amazing. But aside from that, I'm not too sure, like, the German generation going forward, if they're going to be on par with England, for example. But we do have a very young squad. I think that they're a young squad, but they are also experienced. So usually people would look at that and go... And they would write England off because of that. They would use it as another reason to say that they can't win this tournament. But I look at our young squad and the quality that we have. And I think it's an advantage for us because they're young, but they're not inexperienced. I mean, Jude Bellingham played at the World Cup, for example, last year. Now he's leading Real Madrid's midfield. 
Saka played at the Euros and the World Cup, you know. We've got Carl Walker in defence, who's played in for England for years now. So we've got that mix of not retirement age internationals, but young to to middle middle career football players who have got quite a bit of experience. And I think that's finally going to pay off for us. If we look at Italy, for example, when they won the Euros, um, the previous Euros, they had that mix between quite young talent, but also experience. And it worked well for them. And I think not to draw parallels with that Italy team, because I think on paper, our players are better. But you could make an argument to say that they're a little bit similar in terms of experience and youth level. And we have a really exciting opportunity here. Let's just hope that they don't crack under the pressure and that actually they can bring it home. And hopefully we bring it home against Germany because that would be fantastic. I'm seeing it. I'm telling you it's happening. Shall we then move on to that situation at OpenAI, which has sort of resolved itself, but is still sort of going on. Um, It is controversial. So here are the brief facts and then we'll get into it. On the 18th of November, OpenAI sacked their CEO, Sam Altman, who was also a co-founder, as well as the other co-founder, I believe. And that was a decision taken by four board members who, were they trustees? I mean, they certainly, they didn't work for the company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they didn't. Yeah. And then four days later, they rehire Sam Altman as the CEO. And it turns out that, oh, they're getting a new board in. So what the hell is going on there? Well, the reason he was sacked in the first place, this was, well, unquote, what the board said. He was not fit to continue leading the open AI and they felt like they're not progressing as well as they should be progressing. And they were like, okay, that's the reason. See you later. And as he left, one of the co-founders, the other co-founder resigned. He he didn't get sacked. I believe he just said, I don't want to do this anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he didn't get sacked. Uh, it was only Sam Altman who, who got sacked. He was like, okay, that's it. See you later. And the other co-founder, which I forgot his name. He was like, okay, I'm resigning. I'm not doing this. Uh, which then again, a couple of days later, he got hired. Same with the other co-founder. And apparently, I don't know, this is a controversial. First of all, why? Like, that's the first question as to how can how can a border make a decision without having a backup for a project as big as this? I mean, we're talking about a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar company. That company is worth billions and billions of dollars. And... To me, it's very, it's like such an amateur move of them to say, let's get rid of the co-founder, let's get rid of the CEO. And now we have nothing to do. Like, it's, it's, it's childish. I don't know, it's funny to me. What do you think? Well, they certainly didn't read the room in making that decision. So OpenAI, for anyone who doesn't know, um, created chat GPT. Um, which sort of bursts onto the scene this year. It's massive. I think it's in its third or fourth iteration. And one thing to bear in mind is they started off as a charity and they started off as a charity with a mission. And they're now, I believe they've now pivoted to a private company. So they're no longer a charity. But I guess to break down that statement that you said earlier about why the board decided to sack him, I guess perhaps it was a decision made where 
they felt the direction that Sam Altman was taking them as CEO and the policies that he was implementing perhaps were not in line with that original mission. And so even still, I think publicly it, it just hasn't worked out well for them at all. After announcing that they had sacked him, um, 700 employees at OpenAI at least handed in or threatened to resign, which then caused this re this U-turn. And fundamentally, all it's done is damage the reputation of the company. That's all it's done. A bizarre decision because one of the board members came out on X and then tweeted that it was the wrong decision to make. So I'm thinking, what do you mean? You're one of the people who did it and you're so apologetic about making this decision, but why did it happen in the first place? Now, there's been conspiracies about the fact that perhaps they felt that he was taking AI in a dangerous direction. Um, or like what I said earlier, perhaps he was taking it in a direction that is different to their mission statement. We're not actually sure why yet. That's, I think, the most interesting part here, which is why we're talking about it now and which is why people are still talking about it, is the why did he get sacked? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the saying of, well, this is what they said, that they're taking or he's taking the AI towards that dangerous territory is somewhat worrying for people who may not fully read into the article or not fully get the point. Like you'd think, oh, what's going to happen? Is something dangerous happening? Is is it is it the time where the AI is going to take over? Like, is that it? Um I see. I don't understand that because, as far as I know, ChatGPT or OpenAI had a huge success this year. This year, in particular, because I personally didn't know much about it maybe a year and a half ago. This year, everyone's using it. Everyone knows what it is. It helps you with a lot of things. It really is helpful, and the amount of people who use it is unreal. Like. Maybe that's one of the issues they had. Well, not maybe. I know that is one of the issues they had where the servers were not big enough. And for a company that's worth billions and billions of dollars, they were not happy with the amount of people they could have on the servers at the same time without reaching the limit. So that that was one of the decisions they made. But to me, the part that doesn't necessarily make sense is when you're a company that's worth billions of dollars and you say, okay, we need to make a decision. This guy's doing this wrong. This this woman's doing this wrong. Let's get rid of him. You don't just say, okay, let's get rid of them. You say, well, what do we do after? And I really want to know what the original plan was and what made them bring him back. Because I assume whatever they had planned didn't work out during the three, four days period where he wasn't the CEO or he wasn't involved with OpenAI. Uh, and you could see, as you said, a lot of people who worked there, they were like, I don't want this. So maybe there was something which they're not saying. Maybe there was like that turn of events where the AI, because look, at the end of the day, all of these AI stuff, every new technology, everything is made for two things. First, to make to make money out of them. So whichever company makes them, obviously they want to make as much money as they can. 
Second, to help people, to genuinely help people evolve or help make life easier for people. That's that's the point at the end of the day. So when you see a company like that and you see, okay, both CEO and co-founders have left, a CEO and a co-founder have left, 700 people who work in the company are like, no, nah, fuck that. And the talk behind it is because the AI was going towards the dangerous territory, then that makes you question, well, what do you mean by the dangerous territory? What do you consider as the AI going near that dangerous territory? Well, it's definitely that AI world is definitely one of the unknown. And so, but like you said, there's also financial interest there because it's a multi-billion dollar company. It's interesting that hundreds of employees were ready to jump ship to Microsoft, for example, as soon as this news came out. So what direction was Sam Altman pushing the company in? And what do we mean when we say or think about AI being dangerous? Because as far as I can comprehend, I think for the people working there, they want to push it onto a new frontier, something exciting, but something that has been unexplored. And perhaps it was a case of where, because it's unexplored in whatever direction they were going, those board members felt, well, that was not our original purpose. And perhaps pushing it in that direction where maybe it makes the company more money. Again, perhaps the board members were going, well, that was not our original purpose going that direction. But then these things sort of cancel each other out because it's now a private company and the aim is to make more money. So um, that's how companies work in general. You want to make as much revenue as you can. So that would not make sense. Why would they sack someone? Um, why would they sack someone who wants to make more money? Unless, of course, they're out for the good of humanity. But who has that much belief in human nature? Humans don't really, we like to think we operate like that, but we don't really. I'm really interested to see if this will ever come out. What direction was this? Is it one where I know you're interested to talk about where perhaps the AI leads to mass unemployment in a certain sector? Were they trying to prevent that, for example? Um, but of course, the whole point of AI is to make our lives more efficient and more and more functional and to, in, in a way to be a personal assistant for every single individual. I don't know what they exactly mean by, or what could exactly be a dangerous direction. Is it a place where AI has its own consciousness, for example, or there's a risk of that? And if so, why is that a dangerous place to take it? Um, yeah, it the the thing about AI is, and it's all hypothesis, but we really don't know. And so there are there are so many different threads of thoughts that you can go off that it's really unclear, like to come up with a clear conclusion of what's happening here. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I I, I totally get you, and that's that's the part I don't I don't really I don't know. It's it's interesting to me. Like earlier this year, for example. A company, I think they're called, I'm not sure what they're called. It's a Polish name because it's a Polish uh, company. It's some sort of a beverage company, I believe. They introduced 
this robot, this AI named Mika, and that robot is now the CEO of the company. And they're doing it like a trial, which I'm I'm really interested to see what the end results of it would be. But perhaps that's the direction they didn't want to go. Or perhaps that's the direction they did want to go. So to me, I'm really curious to see like, okay, like at some point, I believe this story is going to come out. At some point, we're going to find out what, why the original, why, why he originally got fired and why he got hired again um i'm i'm curious about that i am really curious about that i think i think we know why he got hired again i think we can figure that bit out because it's it was such an unpopular decision that they sort of had to hire him again i think the reason why he got fired yeah i'm really interested to know that too and perhaps we're completely wrong maybe it's nothing to do with him taking ai in a dangerous direction maybe it's for example that they just didn't think he was being transparent with them or he was uh, making decisions that violate, for example, the agreement they had. Maybe it's something as corporate and as, you know, straightforward as that. We really don't know. Um, but we will be we'll be following this story, that's for sure. And if we get an answer, we will bring it up. Yeah, I totally agree on that. And we'll see where the AI goes from here. Oh, I'd like to mention, we are recording our podcast on an AI-based program, by the way. How so? Tell me more. Well, the program we're using has AI integrated within, which helps you edit it, which helps you use some features, which you can't originally use on some other programs. When it comes to editing, obviously, it's the AI doing some part of the edits for you on this app. Um, I mean, it literally says, so do you want me to share the name of the program? Podcastle. Yeah, so it literally says podcastle.ai. That's literally what it is. Um, And obviously, as you said, it really is making lives easier for people. So perhaps without AI, we were not able to record this or we had to struggle more. We had to record it. We had to put our audio together. We had to like edit it on a separate app and then we couldn't extract it. Like it was perhaps a lot harder. But yeah, I'm still interested to see how, where it goes from here. And that, what you've just done there is a fantastic example, not only of advertising podcasts, also well done, I expect to check, um, but also of showing how AI can make your life more efficient. Because like you said there, it streamlines everything. And that's not just true for um, recording the podcast, for example, but for making the graphics, the graphics that we release per episode and on our social media, those platforms that we use to do that also incorporate AI to make the editing and design easier. And so without it, it would be a much harder, harder process. And so that's an example of where AI makes your life more efficient in a good way. And so more of that and more efficient working, for example, is something that I don't think either of us are going to say is a bad thing. Um, Let's just hope that Sam Altman has not altered AI in a way that makes it take over the whole world, because we would not want that at all. Yeah, let's hope we don't get nuked by an AI, because that'll be peak. Now, let's move on to talking about something which has happened to you, and we're not going to go it. It's We can't really go into it 
in a lot of detail because you've told me before there really is not a lot of detail to go into. But you recently got dual citizenship. I've done it now. Yeah, I now have two citizenships. I am now half, well, basically I was born in Iran, but I've now got Iranian citizenship. Well, I've always did. And now I've got a British citizenship. Well, firstly, congratulations. And and, well, before we get into it, how do you feel about that? I feel great. I told you this. Everything is going to be easier for me from now. Um, Yeah. And it was an exciting thing. Like, it really is exciting to have two different. Like, it's weird because I was reading when I was applying, there's some countries which don't actually allow uh dual citizenships what what that means is let's say you're applying for a british citizenship let's say your original country says well we don't accept dual citizenship what that means is you have to give up on one of the countries like you have to say okay well i'm officially not a citizen of that country anymore and that would make things difficult for the person if they are to travel back to that country etc etc so that was a part which i was like okay well did they do it did they do it and yeah so and now basically my life's a lot easier because some countries i can just use my iranian passports and not get visa some countries i can just use the british passports and not get a visa so yeah well that's fantastic correct me if i'm wrong but in terms of you saying that some countries don't allow dual citizenship, are those countries, for example, ones where they have a monarchy? And so if you're Spanish, and obviously the Spanish have a monarchy, you can't be a British dual citizen because the Brits have a monarchy, and so you have to renounce one of them. Am I correct in thinking that? I believe that's the case, yeah. I believe that is indeed the case, yeah. And also, like what you're talking about with a visa, it now, for example, I mean, you you don't love traveling abroad, but... It does make it easier for you if you wanted to. Yeah, of course. So traveling to, especially, let's say, like America, it's going to be a lot easier. Traveling to, um, question, when you traveled to Turkey, did you get a visa? I don't believe so. Oh, do we? That was in 2014. Oh, so that was pre-Brit. No, that was in 2014, was it? Uh, Brexit was 2016 and it came into effect in 2020, 2020, 2021, maybe. Yeah. Uh, we don't know. I mean, that let's not even get into Brexit. That'd be multiple podcasts. Um, <laughs> I've never, as far as I'm aware, I've never had to apply for a visa. I've been to America. I've been to Turkey. I've been to Cyprus. I've been to Portugal. I've been to Hungary. And never have I had to apply for a visa. Oh, well, so, yeah. yeah, there you go then. But yeah, so the process, I mean, now, as I said, it makes things a lot easier. Um, Yeah, and the passport looks beautiful, by the way. I don't know. Have you got the new passport, the blue one? No, I, well, mine's, it's black, isn't it? Not really. I believe my one is, yeah, my one is black and... I my family still have the old one, which is like um like a brown burgundy color, which compares this new one is yeah it's it's not as nice, but it's nice having having that latest passport. Do you know what I mean? Um, I guess you're really you're really proud to have that 
to have that. I don't know what color the Iranian passport is. That is also blue. It is blue. The same color. Yeah, that's the same. No, well, but I think it's black actually. The the British one's black. Yeah. No. See, it's re. It's like dark blue. Like it, it, you think it's black, but oh, then no. if you is have this, lights is this on the, it, is this a case of you being colorblind again? <laughs> because I swear to God, it's black. I am telling you, it's blue. <laughs> well, look, it's black. If you have it like in the dark, or if you're just looking at it, it looks black. But if you if you keep it under the light, it looks as blue as it. It looks as blue as it gets. Dark blue. I'm gonna dark I'm gonna blue. go and have a look after this podcast. Actually, actually, have you got I it in front of you? I'm gonna be searching it. I don't have it in front of me, but I'm gonna be searching it right now. Because I'm pretty sure it's black. Let's see. Is the British? But like I was saying, it's so much. It's so much nicer than the old one, which was like a burgundy brown, reddish color. Navy you know? blue. There no, we go. No, 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 no. That's how we do. It. To be honest, though, I prefer the look of the old one. No, no. The new one is just. The new one is beautiful. It's depressing because of the color, but it's beautiful. <laughs> like. Well, may- yeah you know it's it's the post-brexit passports you're like oh this is when our country just got shitter but it is better than the previous one in my opinion well to be fair maybe i just wanted a red one for like a change to have something new in hand but uh yeah i mean it looks nice it looks really really good when does your passport expire because i believe you probably have to apply soon as well no 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 i got mine in um 2020 or 2021 so oh, i've got, no got it for like a decade yeah oh geez no what have you done and my and my family still have the um they still have the old one so i'm just okay. there me and my dad are the only ones with the new one and it's quite funny just seeing them going around with their ones from i don't know when they got it like 2014 or something and it's like that just looks shit mate so wait you stuck with so you got the blue one I do. I have the new one. Yeah, I'm telling you, man, it's blue. It's literally is advertised as navy blue. Do you know when I went to I went to this museum in Budapest and it was form it was the former Gestapo and KGB sort of headquarters where and this is quite grim, but where they executed prisoners. And in the shop, they had Soviet Union passports. And I was really tempted to buy one. Now, obviously, you can't you can't use it, but it's an exact replica of a Soviet Union passport, and it was really cool. So wait, I'm confused. So they were selling fake passports? That no, well, they're blank. They're blank. Oh right, right, right. Well, and obviously, by the by the technology of modern day passports, they have like a little chip in it, for example. Whereas these ones don't. They're just a book. Um, but it was really cool seeing like a a passport that's been defunct since 1991. So quite old school. Yeah, to be fair, that, that did you take any photos of that? I didn't because you're not allowed to take photos anywhere in the museum, even the shop. Should have gotten one of those, man. Should have gotten one of those. What have you done? And I didn't I didn't want to get shot, so I obeyed the rules. It's probably a good call to be fair by you. Yeah, you definitely not made sure, a decision there. I'm not sure if the Hungarians like the British, so I was staying on the safe side there. By the way, I made a big mis- a big error. The Iranian passport is actually red and not blue. Really? Yeah. So I probably have it in a, or I used to have it in the black cover. Like I just searched it up because I was like, is it 
And no, it's red. Well, it's like the old British passport. It's like dark, dark red. Oh, I see. I'm having a look now. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, that is quite similar to the British one. So it is like a, it's like a brownish red, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The brownish thing that looks like red. I've got to say, though, the the British one is, uh, the new one is better. Controversial one, but it's good. It's good. I like it. Well, the inside definitely looks better. That's for sure. How have we segued into talking about passport covers? What were we even talking about before? We were talking about you getting dual citizenship and That's a good point, actually. how it felt, which you've answered. You haven't gone through the process, though. So what was the process of getting that? So the process, I didn't really do much myself. It was mostly done through a lawyer. But as far as I know, what the person needs to do for applying, uh, when they do apply for one, is they have to pass a citizenship test, which it's just, I don't even remember it. It's just a bunch of questions regarding just the history, kind of history of United Kingdom, Basic questions like what's the capital of England? What countries are inside the United... What countries form the United Kingdom? What is the Union Jack flag? Like questions like that, pretty much. Um, And that's pretty much it. That's basically all I had to do on my part. Oh, wow. So that's fairly simple. Did you have to prepare for that, to revise for it? Or was it really just common sense? It was mostly common sense, to be honest. So it's not something where I had to sit down and study. I looked at, you know, when you do like the theory test and you do like mock papers or mock tests, just to know the pattern and learn the pattern. Now it's like, like, just learn how, how to yeah, do Yeah, you're them. talking about for driving. Driving, theory, yeah. yeah, the mock test for driving. Um, it, I did something like that. So I just used maybe two, three, I just did maybe two, three mock tests and it was just multiple choice as far as I remember. But it was basic questions, like none of it was, oh, you have to go study for that. As far as you live in England for a certain amounts of years, and as far as your just general knowledge, it's somewhat good, you're good, you're good to go. And how many, how many questions were there? And was there a certain pass mark, for example? I don't recall the number. I think there were 20 questions or 30 questions or multiple choice. And I think you had to get like 80% or higher. I think that was that was a requirement. Don't quote me on that. I'm not 100% sure. But yeah, it's just, as I said, as far as like, if I were to give you the question now, if give you the questions now, you'll probably, you'll probably pass it. It's just some of them, which were somewhat tricky. Like who was the prime minister of England, like in the seventies? Do you know what I mean? Some of them were like I that. could answer that. Let's hear it. Ted Heath. Jim Callahan, Margaret Thatcher, Harold mm-hmm. Wilson. Yeah, absolute tank. How did you learn that? Is that for your history course? Uh, not even. I'm just. I do like. I I I do like listening to podcasts on presidents, prime ministers, stuff like that. So that that's interests me. Political history. Fair enough. That is. Yeah. That, that's solid though. That's like. When you ask these American who's like the 12th president of the United States and they don't know and some know and it's really impressive when some of them know. That one I can't answer for you, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I wish I, I could. Either. I have no clue, though. Maybe it's like Abraham Lincoln or something. 12th. Let's see. Yeah. I actually like to know who was. I'm going to say it is Abraham Lincoln. 
let's see. Taylor. Something Taylor. Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor. What years? 1812. Oh, Jesus. 1812. Well, okay. Yeah. I was way out there. Okay. Yeah, wow. that was. Day for We're going to edit. We're going to edit, edit that out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, say the right name, say the right name. Who was the president? Taylor. That's the one. I'm definitely editing it like that. Whoo! What a legend. Look at that knowledge on display. Okay, well, let's talk about the Fallout TV show teaser trailer. I am excited yes. about this yes. show. I agree. I agree. So, you sent me the trailer. I watched it, and I was like, Oh my days, this looks unreal. We are entering a sort of golden era for video game TV adaptations, but not just like even film adaptations. You know, we had Super Mario Bros. this year. We had The Last of Us. And now we have this Fallout TV show teaser trailer, um, which just came out, what was it, on the weekend? Yeah. And it is written and directed by Jonathan Noland, who is Christopher Nolan's brother. He co-wrote the Batman trilogy. He co-wrote Interstellar. And it sort of has a dramatic science fiction feel to it, but also a comedic element. And I'm getting, of course, these are these are polar opposites in a way. I am getting, but then they're not because they're both post-apocalyptic, but I am getting a Last of Us vibe in terms of the quality that you're seeing on screen. And Last of Us has been one of the best shows that I've seen this year. So... It's a really exciting time. Again, I said at the start of this episode, but if you're a gamer, it's a really exciting time, not just on the gaming side, but also for these video game adaptations. So having watched the trailer, Asha, what did you think? Are you excited for it? Are you in a similar place where I am? So when I first watched the trailer, do you know what it reminds me of? Go on. Okay, this is going to sound odd. Like, I don't think... Anyone's going to think of this when they watch it. You know Guardians of the Galaxy where that character which whistles and then it's like a spear that goes around as he whistles? I do and I sort of get it already. Yeah, it it reminds me of that world, like how it how things are in that world and in that sense. But I was so excited because you rarely get to see First of all, just the quality, just the quality of how well made it was and just everything, the production and everything. It looked unbelievable on the trailer. And it just, the trailer, as you said, both drama, both comedy, it has that action elements. It has the excitement kick to it. And obviously the Fallout is a famous, famous obviously game show. Uh, a lot of people know it. It looked, I don't personally know it. I've never necessarily played it. I was never never a fan. But just watching the trailer, my first thoughts were, I need to watch this. When is this coming out? Yeah. And I think the release date is April. So we don't have to wait as long as for GTA 6. I actually, I played a bit of Fallout 4, but I never finished it. But one thing is, it is a really distinct world. And I think, just like the Last of Us TV adaptation, for example, having played Fallout 4, and both of us, we read this, we read an interview with the showrunners and the three lead actors, and they're sort of thinking about this show as their Fallout 5. And having played a little bit of Fallout 4, having seen that it's a distinct world with its own set of rules, 
you definitely get that sense from this trailer. And I'm really excited about that because already watching it, you can not only do you see the chance for a really expansive story to be told, but there's also a lot of mythology, I think, that we're going to be finding out about. And it's also exciting because, like you said, visually, it looks amazing. There is a character, for example, who looks like a he looks like a devil with no nose. Um, He looks he looks really cool. Exactly. I think like in terms of, for example, the trailer opens in a vault and essentially what these vaults are, there's a company called Vault Tech, as far as I'm aware. And after this apocalyptic event hits Earth, people lived underground within these vaults. And so there's so many different vaults. They all have their own set of rules, their own culture. And I think that's just really exciting in terms of where you can take the story. And also when you've got someone like Jonathan Noland, who is written and directed some of the episodes i think you have real quality not just in front of the camera but also behind it and i've I've written this down on our transcript but in terms of the story structure um there are going to be three lead characters and they've sort of described them as this which is this is a film that came out in the 60s it's very well known the good the bad and the ugly and so i think we're going to see three completely different perspectives in this post-apocalyptic world. And I'm really excited to start exploring it because, like I said, the Last of Us adaptation was so fantastic. I can't wait for the second season of that. And I think with Fallout, we've got another hit on our hands. I agree. This is one of them ones where I genuinely can't wait. Like, as I said, I'm not even like a big fan of these type of uh, games and stuff like that or this game in particular but just when i saw the trailer i got really excited about it do you know another series which is coming out and i'm looking forward to it i do not tell me ted yes i i've seen this and that's interesting because like where did this come from but it's like isn't it a ted origin story in a way yeah 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 so i believe it's them growing up together I am a fan of the two Ted films. I think that they are quite funny. They are quite stupid, but they are quite funny. And this is one of those things where it's like, you never knew you needed it, but yeah, you, you, I'm excited for it. And I, I do sort of need it. Now that I've seen it, I'm definitely going to give the first few episodes a try. And if it's good, I'm going to watch it all. Yeah, so it's coming out in January 2025, obviously. Uh, no, sorry, 2024, my bad. Um. And I'm excited for that. But yeah, back to this Fallout. This makes you wonder, does that mean they're going to eventually announce a new game based on the TV show? Is the TV show going to be based on the game? Uh, it's interesting. As far as um, what you were saying is the TV show based on the game, I believe, no, it's not. So I think it's an original story. That's why they sort of said, the showrunners and writers sort of said, they're thinking of it as their Fallout 5, if you get what I'm saying. So yeah. it's an original story. I think one of the really big benefits is that aside from this show looking fantastic, hopefully if it is fantastic, it's actually going to bring people into playing the game. So there's like a, there's a knock on effect. It can only be a positive. For example, I think last of us being really popular has brought a lot of people back to play the last of us and to buy the last of us part one on next gen consoles. I think the super Mario bros film has probably, you will see a correlation between game sales of mario games spiking because of that film so it's only a positive and it i remember there was a time for so long where video game adaptations 
on film and TV were just poor. And now it yeah. seems we finally cracked it. Like I'm thinking of the Pac-Man movie Pixels, for example, <laughs> which was just, I'm sorry, I enjoyed it, but it was not a good film. Oh, no. Like that, for example. But look legendary. how far we've come. Look how far we've come. And that was only 2015, I think. So it's exciting. Yeah, so we've got a lot of these games, which obviously are groundbreaking games, which now have a TV show or a movie announced. Another one being Ghost of Tsushima. One I was just thinking that. Incredible game. That game's unbelievable, if anyone anyone knows it. If you don't, highly recommend it. A movie for that is in development, for example. And I think it's near the final stages, as in they're going to start filming it soon, or maybe they already have started to film it. Uh, but yeah, I do like to see these big films or even the big games that make their way into the movie industry or the show industry and these big movies making their ways into the game industry. Um, I think it's really important if a game that already exists is trying to release a TV show or a movie because I think that's a smart way of, first of all, advertising the game again, as you said or perhaps setting it up for a new release. One thing I remember, like one of the last ones I can think of was, uh, this was a while back. I don't think it's been a year. Maybe it has actually. Uncharted 4, where we watched it in the cinema together. Well, just the movie Uncharted. Oh yeah, that was, cinema. that was just over a year ago, I think. Yeah, or a year and a bit. so we watched, uh, for people listening, we watched the movie Uncharted with Tom Holland and... What was his name? Mark Wahlberg. Mark, yeah, that's the one. Wahlberg in it. That movie was all right. The movie was entertaining, not as good as the game, which I was somewhat disappointed. I was like, okay, I wanted to see more, more of the game's mystery in there, more of these puzzles and stuff like that. But that just motivated me. I was like, okay, wow, I watched the game. I watched the movie, and that just makes me want to go back and play Uncharted Four, even though I've already played that game maybe twice. The storyline. That movie motivated me to come back and want to play it. If I knew there's going to be like an Uncharted 5 coming out, that would have been a perfect setup for me to be like, I am 100% getting this game. Don't get me wrong. If an Uncharted 5 game is ever announced or if it's coming out, I will get it anyway. The game is incredible and I recommend if you haven't played it. Uh, But just that setup makes me want to play the game. So for example, Fallout. Well, as I said, not a game I've played, to be honest, but the TV show was so good. If I play it, if I if I watch it, it makes me want to play a game, let's say, like Fallout 5. If there's a game that's coming out after, I'll be like, oh, well, that was great. I think I want to experience that. Another one being Avatar. Um, great movie. The game looks amazing. And just watching the movie makes you want to play the game. And that's somewhat of a smart advertising strategy do you think we're gonna see in terms of cinema and there's usually over over let's say a decade for example you have a dominant trend and so that's recently been comic book adaptations but do you now think Mm -hmm. what we're seeing is a shift to the dominant trend in hollywood and television for example is going to be video game adaptations because listen we've had We've had some really strong ones. And like we've said, because we're gushing over it, yeah. they've been extremely popular. You know, Super Mario Bros, I think, is in the top five highest grossing films of the year. So 
sort of like how comic book films have dominated the last decade or so, are we now slowly seeing a shift where the next trend is going to be video game adaptations? Because we know there's now going to be a lot of them down the line. We've got, like you said, we've got Ghost of Tsushima from the director of John Wick. That looks really exciting. We just had Gran Turismo, for example. I'm sure we're going to get another Super Mario Bros. film. We know there's going to be another series of The Last of Us. Um, God of War, perhaps that will lend itself to a film or TV adaptation. So, yeah, do you, do you, Witcher, exactly. So do you think perhaps what we're seeing here is that shift towards video game adaptations being the dominant force in cinema and TV? I believe it is. I think right now the technology of game developers and both movie developers have evolved a certain level of which whatever you see in a film you could create in a game and whatever you see in a game you could create in a film um so it's gonna live up to the hype like for example if it was like 20 years 10 years ago 20 years ago and we'd watch a movie like avatar or let's let's even say when like the first avatar came out the movie when the first movie came out then a year later they would have announced avatar pandora probably would have been shit in the game industry probably would have been like yeah but the movie is that good this game is just not as good is it maybe they've invested a lot of time and money in it but the consoles can't really take that and it doesn't really as good whereas now what we're seeing is the game sometimes looking better than movies literally like back to this gta 5 trailer for example like i can't tell if that's gameplay or that's cin- or not gameplay i can't tell if that, that's how the game is going to look like or if that's the cinematic uh cutscene of the game um and yeah i think right now we're going towards an era where we're going to see a lot more games in the cinema as a movie or as a show or and you're going to see a lot many more movies make their way into the gaming industry like mcu spider-man is one big one for example what if they make like an infinity game one which i believe they actually exist i think they do have one but on bigger scales for instance what do you think well on on spider-man what you were just saying at the end there it's really interesting because marvel with those two spider well it's actually three spider-man games because we have to include miles morales they are sort of trying to build an mcu within gaming and they're doing that for example with a wolverine game And if that's really successful, and that's what I'm looking forward to as well, by the way, if that Wolverine game is really successful, who's to say that they don't make another, they don't bring another Marvel character to the gaming, the gaming world, such as, I don't know, Iron Man, for example. So it's really, it's really exciting. You're right when you say that, you know, if Avatar released uh, Frontiers of Pandora in 2009, that it just wouldn't have been wouldn't been the same and that's true that's just because the processing wasn't there in terms of avatar it's interesting because james cameron knew he wanted to make it after doing titanic in 1997 but he didn't because the technology wasn't there and so why he had to wait so long was for the technology to catch up and it's sort of the same in video games isn't it because they couldn't have made frontiers of pandora in 2009 but now in 2023 they can I think in terms of video games looking better than a lot of movies nowadays, nowadays, I don't think it's because VFX artists can't make them look better in films. I think it's just because they're sort of crunched in there in terms of the amount of time they have. Do you get what I'm saying? So there might be a release date in two months time, but they might need 
four months to do a certain sequence. And so they're just crammed with the amount of time they have. It's an exciting period nonetheless for TV and film adaptations from video games though. And I'm really excited to see where this goes. Yeah, one thing I like to mention is, um, this is a fact by the way, the gaming industry, the revenue within the gaming industry is more than the combined revenue in music and cinema. So the combined revenue of music industry and cinema is less than the revenue in gaming industry. Um, And you could tell, like, if they spend a billion dollars on a movie, if the budget of a movie, let's say not even that, let's say if they spend like 300 million making a movie, um, they'd probably spend the same amount making a game from that movie nowadays. You'd be paying... 20 pounds at most watching it at the cinema but you'd probably have to pay 80 pounds to play it um so that makes you think as well on the same time okay it's understandable but obviously it's, it's gotta have that financial aspect to it like it's gotta make sense but all these big companies if they develop more into the gaming industry they perhaps could make more money than actually making movies and that's something i don't personally want to see I want to see all these big movies in like developed into game or all these great games get their own TV show or get the credit they deserve. But I don't want to see a full transition where they're only making it because the profit's going to be better there. And I don't think we're ever going to get to that point. I hope not. I think just to quickly add on what you said, what we want to see is we don't mind if there are a lot of adaptations what we want to see though is that those adaptations are really good so mm-hmm. it's just quality control isn't it you yeah, can it. i don't mind for example if sony are releasing five or ten films a year based off their video game properties that they have so long as those films and tv shows are just really good quality it's that simple and i mean that's just the law for example of cinema and tv shows that the better quality the writing is, the more popular, more successful they're going to be. It's why perhaps certain Marvel films, and again, not to go on about this because we've spoken about this for multiple episodes, but perhaps why they're not doing so well right now is because the writing or the quality is just not at a high enough level. Yeah. And so you've got to remember that they are a product and consumers purchase that product and if the product is not good enough quality they're just not going to purchase it video games um just to add on what you were saying as well before yes they do cost you know 60 to 80 pounds for example on same or bigger budgets and that's perhaps why um they they are a higher quality but they're also incredible value for money because think about the amount of hours that you put into a video game compared to a film you might be paying upwards of 20 pounds for a cinema ticket depending on your cinema but that might just be for two or three hours entertainment whereas for a video game you might be paying 50 or 60 pounds and you might get 60 to 100s of hours of entertainment you know so there's a dis- that's there's a discourse there but i just hope that going forward not only do we get more video game adaptations like fallout like the last of us like mario film even but not just that, but that they're actually good adaptations. And I think I do have faith in that. I hope so. I hope that's the case. I agree. 
Um, what you been watching? That's a nice segue. What have I been watching? I just finished um, the next batch of Squid Game The Challenge episodes. So yes. I've watched nine of them now. And there's one more, which is the final. And that's coming out Wednesday the 6th. So two days before this podcast releases. Okay. Have they killed anyone in it? Um, metaphorically, they have. Literally, they have not. Have you watched it yet? Not yet. I'm, I'm waiting for a death. No, you need to get on it. You need to get on it because honestly, it's like the original show. It's gripping, but it's gripping in a different way. And I've been watching it with my partner and we've both really, really been enjoying it. So I highly recommend it. Yeah, I mean, I'll start watching it. I'm going to start watching all of these because I've got I've got my lit review, literature review due on the 11th. So that's next. That's the following Monday. And I'm just like making sure everything's finalized with that. And then I'm going to start watching all of these. That being said, I'm still watching Young Children though. That that show is up there. Uh, did I mention last week that I finished The Night Agent? You did not. No, actually, I think I did. I think did I did. I'll tell you what else I've started watching. Um, a show called Blue Eye Samurai on Netflix, which is not only visually stunning, um, but from a storytelling perspective, it's fantastic. And I highly recommend that. It's animated, but I cannot stress enough. It's very good. And it's created by, well, it's co-created by the guy who wrote the film Logan, um, which is an excellent film. It's one of the best superhero films I've seen. So I highly recommend Blue Eye Samurai on Netflix. Yeah, so I actually saw it. And it, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Avatar, not the movie, the uh, the series. Uh, what was it called? Um, the Last Airbender. Yeah, that's the one. And that's a brilliant show, by the way, if you've not seen it. That really is well, incredible. Do you know what I keep saying every time I'm watching it? What do you keep saying every time I'm watching I'm like, it? wow, this just looks like Ghost of Tsushima. And it really does. Really? It is, it's just amazing. Like, obviously not visually, but in a sense, yes, visually. Like when, when you see the characters walking around and what's around them, the production design, you're like, oh, wow, this looks like Ghost of Tsushima. It's set in... Um, Edo era Japan, I believe that's, and I'm probably going to butcher this completely. It might be 15 or 1600s, but and it's a time where uh, Christianity is outlawed in Japan, and also it's it's shut to outsiders. So everyone is pretty much Japanese. There's no white people. Okay, um, and that's all. That's all the setup I'm going to give you. Um, but it's very good. It's very good, and I highly recommend it. And the episodes. They vary from about 40 minutes to an hour. And I think there's eight of them. So not too many. I would say watch that over Squid Game, the challenge, to be honest. Yeah, to be fair, I'm not really a massive fan of... Well, I am. I'm a massive fan of uh, these animated... I've never watched any animated ones. So I've watched, uh, as I said, Avatar The Last Airbender. And everyone told me that's anime. And I'm like, no, that can't be anime. I've never seen anime. Uh if that is anime, then I'm a fan, but I've never seen any other anime. But I am also a fan of watching, like, gaming, gaming shows, like, family stuff. It's it's fun to watch, but... So, you, you're you saying the whole thing is not out yet for the Squid Game one, is it? So, for Squid Game The Challenge, one more episode to be released, and that will be out by the time this podcast comes up. And for um, The Blue Eye Samurai, every episode is available now on Netflix. And how many episodes is that? And there are eight on that one. Okay, eight and what's the Squid Game Squid one? Game, Squid Game, the challenge is ten. Ten, okay. 
Uh, is there any plan for season two on that? For which show? For Blue Eye Samurai, I believe, yes. And for Squid Game The Challenge, I'm not sure. But I was thinking about this and you could just do it with a different cast of characters. And as long as those characters are and those individuals have really interesting backstories and there's interesting dynamics within the game, I think you can do the same games and it will be just as compelling. So, yeah, the the problem is, of course, that I think that show took a few years to make. So yeah. it's just a time thing. But they could do a second season. Why not? Yeah, I mean, if they've already got the sets pre-made and they've not destroyed it or anything, then yeah, obviously it's going to cut down the time by a lot. And it's been and it's been popular enough. I think it's been out for two or three weeks and it's been number one in the UK. So, yeah, so it hasn't trending. dropped from there. Yeah, it's still yeah. up there. Yeah, I'll give it a go. All right, man. Should we wrap this up? All right, let's do this. I have been your co-host, William Code. I'm your co-host, Arsia. And thank you for listening to Coffee Hour. See you on the next episode. Take care. Take care.